Oh, here's a picture. Here's a recent picture of my family. I have a daughter getting married next month. I had one that just got married. I am so busy. I bring all these pictures of my kids, my children, just to show you Christmas cards, but to show you that they're cute and that I, th- I think, even though I have some really abnormal ideas, I'm sort of normal, I think. <laughs> my friends think I'm weird, but I'm in the, I'm in the um, enviable position of going public with this message, so I don't feel any kind of um, burden in this gift exchange. You know, I've had many, many years, and I do it sometimes if I feel totally led to. Remember, God loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't want any giving to be done under compulsion. So to me, it's a form of compulsion that every year you and your 30 friends swap little token gifts, okay? Even if they're only 4 bucks each, well, with times 30, that's a lot of money, but it's really the time factor. It's the thoughtfulness. It's the having to deliver them. I ruined another Christmas for myself. This is all, these are things I've learned from. This is when I was y'all's age. I was making all these mistakes. I decided, well, I'm going to get Ray ahead this year. And this is again after my husband had said, honey, I think you're doing too much. I said, no, 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 I can do it. I can do it. I'd gotten so excited about Advent that I found these darling Advent calendars that had little chocolate candies in them. I thought, okay, I'm going to, this is, I'm going to help my friends. This is kind of, kind of how they're going to pace their season with their families. I'll give them all an Advent calendar. Well, guess what? You have to get the Advent calendar delivered like right after Thanksgiving. Well, I had too many people to do that for, and the weather was terrible that year. There were like five or six days in early December that the weather was awful. Well, by the time most people got their Advent calendar, Advent was halfway over. So it was just another painful lesson to me of not acting like my spiritual mother, Eve, who is a rebel. Okay, I would like to go back, circle back just a little bit. I got so excited when I found out I had so much time that I'm not being as careful following along, and I don't want to do that to you all. I don't want to miss things. Okay, a lot of the material that I'm sharing with you I learned from a workshop and a book called Unplug the Christmas Machine. Any book I mentioned to you, you don't have to scribble that down. You have a bibliography there in your red notebook. Even if you don't purchase the big packet, you have a bibliography, okay? But I highly recommend this book and the seminar called Unplug the Christmas Machine. The two authors are not Christians. I think one is even Jewish. But there's nothing anti-Christian in the book, okay? It's, it's, it's extra, but it's not anti, so you don't have to be afraid. But our celebration should be far more than just one where you're trying to be some more simple. You know, seek simplicity and you'll fail. Seek Jesus and you'll find what you're truly seeking. Okay? What I want to help you all do is as you're seeking simplicity, I want to help you find Jesus. So this is just a series of, of exercises and discussion questions. Uh, people all over the country take this weekend seminar. And, um, in fact, it starts with raise your hand uh, if you could tell me what your favorite gift was from last year, your favorite Christmas gift. Well, in most of the seminars, nobody can think of anything. The only thing people remember year after year are non-monetary gifts, non-material gifts. The gift of a letter. That is the number one favorite, not just teachers, everybody. If there's somebody on your list that you really want to give something to, and they already have everything or whatever, they're just kind of a stubborn personality to think about. Stop right now before life has gotten out of control busy and write them, okay? Write them. In fact, an even better thing to do 
is all those people that are on your list at Christmas to either give a gift to or send a card to. If you, if you, now this is the ideal world, okay? I'm not there, but I am moving in this way. Focus on their birthdays. Focus on them on their birthday, not his. Why do we focus on all of our friends on Jesus' birthday? It doesn't make any sense, okay? It's cultural. It's cultural, purely cultural. It's extra biblical, and it can be not anti-biblical, but it can certainly destroy your opportunity to have a quiet place for Christ to come, okay? Again, the Advent season... Okay, thank you. Um, Okay, I want you all to just shout it out if you want to say something, okay? Because we do have a lot of time. Um, So if you could really, like your, especially relatives, you know, if you have had a nice phone chat with your aunt, you know, maybe in October, whenever her birthday is, you really might not feel like you had to do something for her in December, okay? Because again, it's not the one aunt or the one teacher, or the one friend. It's the many, okay? It's the aggregate load that we never really stop and consider. Okay, so you know about this seminar, which I recommend, and then you know about the Advent Jesse Tree book. This one in particular is my favorite. You can get this on Amazon.com. This is also listed on your bibliography. It's called the Advent Jesse Tree. Her theological standpoint is exactly what all of ours is. You do have to be careful of a um, kind of a Catholic mindset. I'm going to sound so negative about Catholics. Remember, we all were Catholic about 500 years ago. You know, until Martin Luther did his thing on the Wittenberg door, we were all Catholic. So, But I think we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. <clears throat> but you do need to be careful about some things. In fact, one of my messages, I'd love to share this one with you all one day, you know, these four redeeming messages I have. One of them is called Redeeming It's redeeming Silence. It's about contemplative worship. Have you heard that one, Jeannie? It's, 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 well, it's, I had to, I had to wade through a bunch of Catholic doctrine and just wade through it. And, um, but there is some very rich spiritual food to mine out of all of that. Okay. So a little book like this, Somebody came up here and asked me a little while about the different seasons. You can buy these things. Just the next time you're in a Christian bookstore, if you really are interested in this rhythm of the sacred and the Christian calendar, it really can give balance to your life. You know, we're all looking for ways to to really, from the inside out, to get order and balance. God wants everything to be done decently and in order, not just worship. Everything is worship. Everything is holy to the Lord. So the way you celebrate the incarnation certainly matters to God, Okay. So these kind of little resources can help you with that. Um, okay, this one, actually, I didn't put this one on there because this is, I just brought this one because it was lightweight. I don't really have a favorite. I have so many books that I finally have just had to quit carrying them because 50, you think about your back. This one, um, where did I get this one? They're all kind of the same. I don't have one favorite. But I do recommend it. I think you would benefit from that. Um, 
back to the Jesse tree and the benefit of the Jesse tree and connecting the covenants, I heard this wonderful worldview specialist called um, Dr. Davy Noggle. Have you ever heard Davy Noggle? Anybody? Say that, you know, one of the big problems in the church now is dualism, that we've separated the covenants somehow. We view the Old Testament as angry God and New Testament loving God. So there will be many people in some of our churches, modern churches, who don't even bother with the Old Covenant anymore, which is oh so much silliness. The Old Covenant, the Old Testament is full of God's grace, full of it. And, and the New Testament is full of his judgment. We're just rescued from it because of Christ. But Dr. Noggle said that the reason why he thinks we have such a low view of Christmas, that that's why the, church, the, the culture has robbed us of the holiness of our holy day. We have been robbed. We've t- they've taken it from us and we've let them. He thinks we've let them because we have a pretty low view of it to begin with, because we are not steeped in Christ in the Old Testament. If we really understood all those messianic passages for what they really are, which are types and shadows of Christ himself, that you would really have, you would have had such a sense of expectation about him finally coming that there would have been no way we could have been hijacked like that. And that in fact, to not understand the old covenant, that it's all full of Christ, is like trying to understand, to try to get the value of Christmas, would be like trying to understand a movie to which you have entered 45 minutes late. Okay? You will never get it. You will never get how immense the sacrifice of God becoming flesh, of Jesus Christ humiliating himself to walk around like a man, to hide his own glory so that he could ident- so that we could identify with him so that we could love and be loved. So that is the Jesse Tree. Yeah, there are a lot of books that you can buy right now at Lifeway that will give you like like paper doll cutouts of the ornaments. And I did that one year, and that was fine. But I, mo- I morphed into really wanting, I wanted dimension. I wanted my children to view the Jesse Tree ornament as a real Christmas tree ornament. So that's one of them for their semester project that year made all the Jesse Tree ornaments out of just whatever she could find. Like, um, I'm telling you, this is mom and pop. But it was so sweet. Like here's you know one of the ornaments of original sin. This is this is that what do you call this putty stuff they use? What do you call it? It's not Play-Doh. That was what kids use. Sculpey, Sculpey. So she made a bunch of ornament. This is an apple with a snake wrapped around it. The Sculpey stuff. And then they just robbed from their Lego and Playmobil and dollhouses. And we just and we just rigged it up with super glue. I mean it was so sweet. And it was a semester project at school. And then we had a Jesse tree. And then I've since just kind of gone on a hunt for the ornaments. One day I may do that. This is a collection of Jesse Tree ornaments that Logos used to sell, but they don't have all 29 of them. They only had 15, but I bought what they had. Anyways, you can make that out of anything you want. Okay, anybody else? Okay, yeah, let's talk about what we've talked about so far. What are your questions? What are you confused about? What have I totally confused you about that I could clear up? Yeah, spiritually, see, if you get your spiritual house in order, everything else falls in place. So if you know spiritually, I should really be focused right now on um, the resurrection of, of Christ and what that means. And every, there's just all of these levels of meaning in all of those. Let me read you this one little thing about that. Um, this is the first Lord's Day of Advent. The beginning of the church calendar year is Advent. 
One of the most important things that we can learn in our celebration of this is the foundational truth that calendars are not silent. Calendars always tell a story. Now, just because a calendar tells a different story from ours does not mean that the story is wrong, although it sometimes is. But a competing story is always wrong and idolatrous when it replaces the story, the story of Christ, the story of salvation. Thus, it's not simple to have a fiscal year beginning in the summer or an academic year beginning in the fall or a civil year beginning in January. But it's wrong-headed and very foolish to forget that all these different kinds of years each have a story to tell. If we listen to these stories long enough and neglect the story that God has given the church to tell, we will succumb to idolatry. And then it'll seem strange and outlandish to us that the Christian church marks the beginning of its year in late November, longing for the coming Messiah. How strange, the non-believers wonder. Why would Christians commemorate something like this, God taking on flesh, when they could be marking really important things like the start of the fiscal year or the contribution to the labor unions of our society? What are these Christians bothering with that for? See, that starts our year because that's the most important thing to us is the coming of God, God to earth. That was written by Ron, Ron Dodson, just about the church calendar. Yes, and the author is a Dallas guy, isn't he? A DTS graduate? Yes, yes. He, I wish I could think of his name. I heard him speak, and I'm not sure that's his book, but there is a, a Dallas, he's a pastor of a church in North Dallas. The, the title of his book has the word rhythm in it. It's kind of that rhythm of the, it's an ancient idea. See, there really are no new ideas anywhere. We just kind of, they just raise their heads again. So that one's, I think, because of technology, which is making everybody seem feel so fractured and fragmented and hurried, we're looking for something that really will settle us on the inside, from the inside out. And that's it. You know, it's like the vending machine. You have to put the money in, you put the idea in your head, drops down to your heart, okay, and then it works, kind of gets digested in your heart in here, and then it comes out in changed behavior. So you have to... You've got to think about things, and then they, they come out, okay? That's why I don't want you to really rush into a bunch of change this year. Think incremental, marginal changes. Wholesale change doesn't work. It doesn't work in dieting. It doesn't work in budgeting. It will not work in Christmas. See, now you're not... That's the other reason why I wanted you to take that little test where you put the check marks. I want you to be reminded of most of the things that you are busy doing all Advent. Okay, somebody had a question back there. Yeah. Well, see, you are such a good communicator. See, just the way you express that, because that those were a lot of things in what you just said. So communicating early is the key. You can't wait and weigh in on how, you know, I really don't like this. This is not the way my direction my family is trying to go. When you have that conversation in December, then you hurt feelings. What you'll find in your celebrating circle, that's what you call those people you're doing the holidays with. The older the people are in that circle, the more they will try to hang on to the tradition, the way that it has always been. The younger people in your circle are the ones who are so flexible. Oh, let's change it. Let's do this this year and whatever. And that can be good, too. They can both. You can get in trouble either way. But my suggestion is just to have a very... Take her. Is she a local relative? It's everybody. Well, maybe you could... Um, you, first of all, you need something bigger than yourself and maybe bigger than just your family, like um, a ministry or something that really captivates your heart that you would really prefer to give $1,000 to than to divvy it up among all those people. 
And it's that Tim Keller idea of the expulsive power of a new love will push out whatever the idol has been, okay? So you just need something bigger than, you need something big. And I think the Lord will give you something. But I would start with just as you can, maybe in an email or a note or tea or coffee or what. I know we have a lot of people that way, but just with a, this is the position that my husband and I have taken. We really feel the Lord, and you'll have to, you know, maybe if they're put off by your Christian jargon, don't use those terms. But, you know, we're feeling really led this year to spend less on those of us who are equally affluent and, you know, in the true spirit of Christmas giving, we really want to spend that money and that time on people who really need our gifts. You know, just the Lord will he'll help you because you know that's something he would honor. But I do think if it's um, something that really sometimes you can just be a, a witness in your own family when you you know, continue to, if it's important to them, see what pagans who don't know what to do with their sin and guilt, they go crazy at Christmas. It's the way they assuage their guilt. You ever notice that? They're the ones who are pulling all those cards off the trees in the bank lobbies and because that's how they deal with it. So that's not what we're about at Christmas. We don't need to do that. We really should be doing that all year. But yes, we should take care of the least of these, but the least of these brethren. You know, our our poor, let them take care of their poor at Christmas. And that was a little bit of a, of a rabbit trail there. But I think communicating is the key. And I would start, maybe don't start with the ones, the one or two who you think are the real keepers of the traditions. But maybe start with somebody closer in age to you that you feel like could really help tell your story. But just talk about it. You know, traditions are wonderful. You know, they reconcile us to everything, which is what Edmund Burke says. And remember what Tevia says in Fiddler on the Roof? Without traditions, you're like a fiddler on the roof. You kind of can lose your balance. You could tip off. So I think traditions can be good. But beware of the traditions of men that negate the traditions of God. Okay? And some of your family traditions really can be doing that. You know, my mother tells the story of um, when she was newly married, she would always cut the end of the ham off before she baked it for Easter. We all heard this story. And so her daughter asked her, well, um, why do you cut the end of the ham? Well, I don't know, because my mother always did. Called her mother. Why would you cut the end of the ham off for uh, you know every time before we had Easter dinner? Well, honey, I didn't have a pan big enough. You know, find out. Ask yourself some questions. Why do we do this this way? Is this honoring of each other? Is this honoring of the Lord? And be really careful about traditions that, um, I think some traditions are wonderful. I really do. And every family's traditions are unique to them. Um, but if you've had a change in your life in the year, a divorce, a death, those same traditions are very painful all of a sudden. So that could be an out for you. If there has been a, ch- a life change in someone's family, that's a thoughtful way to say, you know what, that, that's that's going to be painful this year to Uncle Tom. Why don't we, well, it, it requires some time, you know, time to think it through. Okay, somebody else had their hand up. Yeah. I think it would be the same thing. Just let them know early. Um, let them know how much you've appreciated. First of all, when they, if you were to say that to them, you know what people think? It's, it's our sin nature. It's our default. And I think, oh, whoa, she didn't really like what I did last year then. You know, they kind of get paranoid. So you would want to maybe start with, you know, we have really loved all the gifts you've given us, and it's so great. No, first of all, 
that they are giving your children gifts to develop a relationship. See, gifts speak. Gifts have a language. Every time you give somebody something, you are the gift is saying something. Most of our Christmas giving is to say thank you. Thank you for doing my hair. Thank you for carpooling. Thank you for cutting my yard. Thank you for whatever. So those gifts would be so much better given on Thanksgiving. You know, or if you're trying to tell someone you love them, how about Thanksgiving? You know, Valentine's Day. Um, you know, think kind of like that. Now, in your situation, that's not going to really help you. I would just communicate early. And again, I would pray that the Lord would give you a heart for something bigger than what you've had. It's not about people down here and who gave what and who gave too much. And But I think it would be, I think they would respect it respect you if you said you know what what happens every year is that we have all these things coming in from all these different places to our kids and then you know my husband and I we give gifts also so there's just so we feel like we are ruining the sacredness of the holiday with all the gifts now the very thing I don't want for my children I is have it the unintended consequence is that it is happening right here in my home you know the haunting question the goal for you all is that if Jesus were to return this year and come into your home would he recognize himself as the one celebrated? Would he recognize, hey, this should be my birthday party? You know, your children are so confused by that. They really are. Here in Sunday school, they hear it's Jesus' birthday. They have a birthday party for Jesus. But somehow, the, everybody, including their family, which is the world to them, is just all about gift swapping. And by gift swapping, I mean what normally we all are doing. We are exchanging gifts with equally affluent people. That is not the spirit of Christmas giving. The spirit of Christmas giving is giving to Christ. You know what Christ wants for his birthday? He wants your heart. He wants you. Okay? He wants you to give him your talents. Give him who you are. Give him everything. And then that gives him an empty vessel to pour his love through. And then you just become a vessel, pouring out, pour, spilling over onto everybody in your life. Okay, that's what he wants. And then the other thing he wants, he tells you very clearly in Matthew chapter 25, that whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done for me. Remember that passage where he separates the sheep from the goats? It's, it's frightening. It should scare you to death. All these people think they're just fine with Christ and that they're about to go into their eternal reward in heaven. And he splits that group in half. The sheep go on the left, and the sheep go on the uh, right, and the goats go on the left. And he addresses the goats. He says, hey, you know what? I was hungry. You didn't feed me. I was thirsty. You didn't give me a drink. I was in jail. You didn't visit me. No, that way, I never saw, Jesus, I never saw you hungry or thirsty or in prison. I definitely would have. If you didn't do it to the least of these, then you did not do it to me. And then reverses it to the sheep on the right. Come into my eternal rest because I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was naked and you clothed me. No, I'm, I'm, thank you for the entree and the invitation to heaven, but that wasn't me. I never saw you thirsty. I never fed you. Oh, yes, you did. When you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. So that is the spirit of Christmas giving. So if you get your mind set right, your behavior will follow. And you women, especially you men, you are the heads of households. The women's are usually women are usually the keepers of the traditions. But you men, you are the leaders in your family. You're either going to lead well or you lead poorly. So if you get that idea up here, that that is the that is the way you give a gift to the birthday boy. That's what he said he wants. 
That's another very easy way to make an observable difference to the culture. See, only God sees the inside of you. Matthew 16, 7, God doesn't see the same way people see. Okay, people look at the outside of a person. The Lord looks at the heart. Just because you know in your heart you're celebrating the coming of the king. If everything you do looks like, you know, you're at the mall and you're worn out and you're shopping and baking and doing all that stuff the world does, then you haven't done anything to glorify God. What's the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. So that's what he wants you to be busy about. I like that. Yeah, I think, you know, and and pray about that and ask your kids. There is a story in your that bigger book. If you buy it, you'll have a copy of it. But I'll tell you this. I'll, I'll give you a, a encapsulation of the story, which is what started my family out on one of the things that has made a great difference. It's called the Family Adoption Project. And every year, our family adopts another family. The cool, cool, cool thing is that we do it secretly. My children know, which it makes it feel like a Mission Impossible episode to them. They don't tell. It's our family secret. Now, we started doing it with another family who are affluent like we are. We do it together. So every year, the Lord has given us a family, either that's gone through a divorce. See, the minute somebody goes through a divorce, they are poor in every way. They're poor in spirit. They're usually financially poor for a while. Um, a teacher. Teachers make so little money. I put them in the category of the poor. I know because I used to be one. But or somebody in your neighborhood, somebody that your children connect with. See, that's the key, and that's the work of the parent. You need to, if you're trying to teach your children that it's more blessed to give than to receive, you've got to set it up for them. It doesn't just happen. Okay? Go to the whoever it is in your church that knows who the families are in your church who are out of work, who maybe don't want to broadcast it to the whole world, but find out, okay? And then you, you secretly adopt them. Meaning, you do a little research and find out what they need, what their sizes are, whatever. That's the shopping you do with your children. It brings so much joy, and I can tell you it works. It has worked in my family. In several years, we adopted family members. My husband is one of nine children, and most of them are just shipwrecks. He's the only believer. Somebody is always in dire, dire need. I've got a big family. A couple of divorces there. And they, of course, they know and love their cousins. So if you set it up as somebody that they know, and this little poor child is just like me. Their dad just lost his job this year. Okay? Somehow our affluent children just have poor kids way over there. They don't relate to them. Well, guess what? You know, to God, we're all poor and impoverished. But anyway, you make it, make it fun for the kids. So Christmas Eve or Christmas Eve Eve or Christmas Eve Eve Eve, whenever, we take the box of goodies to this family's house. We park the car kind of like a block away. The children take the loot. You have wait till it gets dark. The children take the stuff, leave it on the front porch, ring the doorbell, and run like hell back to the car. <laughs> and then we just try. It is the most thrilling thing. And because I did it when they were little, they ask now, who are we going to adopt this year? I mean, they're all college people. So it's like, hmm, what are we going to do this year, Mom? But it is part of their, it's part of their deal. It's just part of how they do Christmas. So I'm telling you, this stuff works. You start now while they're little. And let me tell you what else. I've never been so grateful that I did this research and learned these things and started to do them with my own kids as guinea pigs because when they get to junior high school, you lose them in the Advent season. They've got final exams. 
They are not up for your Christmas carols anymore. It's mom. I've got a paper to mom. I've got a test tomorrow. So the elementary years are just prime, prime time. Okay? Earlier too, you know, earlier in elementary. Does somebody else have a hand up? Okay, let's, um, before you read those gift suggestions, let's read for the benefit of the tape, and because I know you're so busy, you'll probably get home and not look at this notebook again. Look at that page called Keeping Christ in Christmas, Before and After Tips, Advent Sunday following Thanksgiving through December the 24th. Okay, Advent is the Sunday following Thanksgiving is what I meant by that, through December the 24th. Okay, spend more time preparing your heart than you spend preparing your home. Pray for the peace of Christ to permeate your home. Put up the nativity scene first as the only decoration for at least a week. When you set up the nativity scene, leave the manger empty until Christmas Eve or Christmas morning. Also place the three wise men elsewhere in the house and day by day move them closer to the stable until they finally arrive on Epiphany. This is something fun for your kids to do. You just assign, okay, you get to move, the, move it today. Have at least one nativity scene that the children can play with. Encourage them to act out the story and videotape it. <clears throat> or use it, or use a cassette recorder and have them tell you about the first Christmas. It's precious for young children. Set aside one videotape. You can tell I wrote this a long time ago. You didn't call them videotapes now, do you? What are they, DVDs or something cool? Set one tape aside to record activities on each Christmas. Consider the priceless chronological family Christmas tape you will have in 10 years. Buy or make an advent calendar. <clears throat> for example, you might bake 24 cookies plus one giant special cookie for Christmas Day. Use cookie cutters with seasonal shapes and explain their significance to your child. Privately and as a family, read the Bible and other seasonal devotional literature, especially Christmas stories, each day of Advent. This will renew your mind and prepare your hearts for His coming. Use the special excitement of the season to develop a habit of family reading. Okay, here's the point here. My kids all went to Providence. They put this huge reading load on those kids. So at Christmas, we just substituted all the reading. And we just pulled out the basket full of Christmas books. And that's all we read was Christmas stories. That's another way to prepare your heart. Remember, Christ used stories all the time because stories pierce the heart. You're trying to get to your child's heart. And stories do that. And most of them are about the true joy of giving to the least of these. Make or buy an Advent wreath, lighting one candle each Sunday. Use it as the focus of your devotions. Decorate a tree with stars only or with stars, angels, and nativity scenes. In place of a tree, consider setting up a large outdoor-type nativity scene in the living room. Burn frankincense. Minimize the commercial height before Christmas. Don't leave catalogs lying around. Avoid the, um, avoid the malls, etc. Spend more time contemplating scripture in catalogs and advertisements. Wait until Christmas Eve or morning to put gifts under the tree to reduce the month-long emphasis on presents. Okay, let me stop right there. One of the smartest things I did, I had my children write. When something came in the mail, most of our relatives are long distance, and that's how long distance relatives are connecting with your children. But because getting them to write their thank you notes was the hardest work of my life as a mother, I finally read somewhere, to let, and, and kind of in this... Uh, the, the goal of spreading the season out when a gift came in the mail they got to open it right then and then they wrote their thank you okay if you, I'll let you open it now you're going to write your thank you oh yeah 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 so they get those thank you notes done it's just another way to spread it out um, than to wait and have all of that super abundance on Christmas day 
Hang a stocking for Jesus. Put money in it throughout Advent. Use that money to help someone your family knows that is in need. Single moms are usually in need of something. Set up a small, empty manger with a supply of straw nearby. For each act of kindness, family members add a piece of straw to the manger. For those good deeds done in secret, two pieces may be added. Hopefully by Christmas morning, baby Jesus' manger will be nice and soft. Early in the season, plan a a service project for your family. Invite another family to join you. Consider ministries of your church first. Helping those less fortunate does not have to be hard or dangerous. Explain who St. Nicholas was and that the legend of Santa Claus is based on this historical figure. St. Nicholas was known throughout Asia Minor in the 4th century for his generous, anonymous giving to the poor. As a family, memorize all the verses of a favorite Christmas carol. As you receive holiday cards, pray for the sender. Open gifts arriving by mail as they come. This helps spread the excitement throughout the whole season. Have children write or draw a thank you note as soon as possible. Read Santa, Are You For Real? by Harold Myra. Explain the tradition of gift giving. God gave us the greatest of all gifts at Christmas, his son. We imitate him as we understand, as we give undeserved gifts to those we love. That's kind of the theme of your giving to your children. Consider exchanging birthday gifts with your friends on their birthdays, not his. To redeem time, consider sending greeting cards on holidays other than Christmas. Easter is equally sacred and far less crowded. Or how about Pentecost, the forgotten holiday? Nancy Berger's been having Pentecost parties for years. Display your children's handmade ornaments and small crafts together on one wreath. Invite someone who might be sad or lonely to join your family for Christmas dinner. Annually have a birthday party for Jesus of some sort. As your children get older, make them... more of an evangelistic outreach. Include presents for Jesus, which should be gifts for the least of these. Your family can deliver them later as a service project. Let me stop right there. This purple folder right here up on the front table is full of fabulous ideas about how to have, it's like a birthday party for Jesus in a folder. Jeannie did this for me 10 years ago. It is so precious. Um, You probably all already do that, but it's full of just some ideas for how, and it's maybe the most important thing you would do for your young children, is to, at the party for Jesus, at the birthday party, their friends bring a present. The present is for a needy person. I would make it a child, another needy child. You've got to connect those dots for them. They don't get it. It's like they, if you don't spell everything out, I've got a recording of children singing Uh, Santa loves the little children, all the children. That's scary. You, you got to, you know, we, we'll unpack St. Nicholas in a minute, but you got to tell them these things over and over again and demonstrate to them. Organize a nativity play with friends or neighbors. It can be quite simple. Assign major roles to the oldest children. The younger ones can be angels, shepherds, wise men, or animals. Use simple costumes. Have a narrator read the story so the lines to learn are minimal. Work the stage directions into the narration. Example, suddenly many angels appeared. Fit the verses of the appropriate hymn into the play to be sung by the parents and the audience. Afterwards, have a cake for Jesus and sing happy birthday. That's so simple to do. You get to put a, towel, a bath towel on their head with a headband and, you know, a bathrobe and a big sash. You read the account and they just act it out and somebody film it. Make photo ornaments each year using the kids' school pictures. These are thoughtful gifts for grandparents. Teach children about Hanukkah. Hanukkah. When possible, attend living nativity scenes. Okay, we'll get to Christmas Eve and Christmas Day after we read this. Okay, let's go around the room and 
If you've got one of those envelopes that talks about a particular gift, read what is on your... Um, I'm going to walk over to you so the tape will pick it up. Let's start here at this table. These are example. These are true examples of best and worst gifts. Good idea. Oh, good. Thank you. Here, yeah, take the mic when it's your turn to read. I'll let you decide whether it's in the best gift or worst gift category. Uh, the gift of blood. After a two-year battle with cancer, our daughter died last year. Through the many hospitalizations at Children's Medical, we were made aware of the constant, sometimes dire need for blood and platelets of suffering children. Knowing of our concern, a dear friend, as our Christmas gift, donated platelets in memory of our daughter. The hospital notified us of her gift. We have never been as touched by a gift. Oh, that's sweet. Did you hear that? My donated platelets for a Christmas gift. The calendar. The Christmas gift I received from my mother last year was great. It required a lot of careful planning and effort. Early in the fall, she purchased a desk calendar, the kind with two rings and loose leaf sheets, which are flipped over daily. Mom, remi- or Mom removed the individual sheets and sent two to five pages to people who are special to me. Each person was instructed to write a little message to me and return the pages to her office. By mid-December, she had received all of the pages and was able to reassemble my very personal calendar. Imagine what joy it has brought to hear from my wonderful friends and family each day of the year. Every day brings a new surprise. Many people shared happy memories, others wrote words of inspiration, some shared jokes, and others guesses as to what I would be doing on that particular date. Starting each day with a message from a special person in my life has been a wonderful gift all year. Thank you. So those are both good ones so far. Every year since they were young, my children have memorized portions of scripture and recited them for me as their Christmas gift. I requested and chose the passage for them. We started in the summer, so there was plenty of time. Their daddy helped a lot. What a blessing to know my children had hidden God's word in their hearts. As an added blessing, my grandchildren are continuing this tradition of giving the gift of scripture. I'm so grateful that even though we are separated by many miles, my grandchildren know what is most important to me. I look, I got a comment on that one. Those gift ideas are gifts, things people have told me that they've done. That particular woman was about my age. Maybe she must have been a little bit older because she had um, grandchildren. But when, see what she's done? First of all, if, you, if someone knows what you want as a gift, that says so much about you. So this is a long-distance grandmother who wants her children to know what's important to her. So she asked them, oh, this makes me tear too. She asked them every year what passage she wants them to memorize for her. And when they were little, their daddy, her son, of course, had to help them. Well, look what she's doing for her son. He's having to memorize that same scripture too. And then when they get together, they recite the Bible verses for their grandmother. So, I mean, everybody's, it's just the trifecta of a Christmas gift. I mean, they've got it in their hearts all of their lives. It's just the most perfect gift of them. Okay. This one is the gift of time. Early in December, I received a package from a friend, including all the ingredients needed to make s'mores in the microwave, that is. There was a separate setup for each of my three children. The tag read, make time for your children. They're not going to be home much longer. It was my favorite gift that year. Sweet. This is the gift of prayer. Last year, our 17-year-old daughter spent most of the year in rebellion. 
It was such a sensitive and embarrassing situation, I was uncomfortable sharing it with our large church. The only person I shared my pain with was a trusted Christian neighbor. As a gift to me last Christmas, she typed up all the different Bible verses she had been praying for my daughter and committed to continue in prayer until the intense trial had passed. Her gift brought me great comfort and hope. Um, A framed piece of Christmas wrapping paper was the best gift I ever received. About 25 years ago, my husband was given a very large roll of wrapping paper from his family's bakery that was going out of business. The paper had been used to wrap bread, cookies, and cakes that they had made. It became a family tradition each year to wrap at least one gift with this paper. Last year, in honor of past happy Christmases and in memory of my recently deceased husband, my grandson sent each family member a framed piece of this wrapping paper saved from the previous years. The originality and the thoughtfulness of this gift express my grandson's love for his late grandfather and for his family. This is uh, the invitation. The best Christmas present I received last year was from my niece and her husband. It was an invitation to spend time with them at their home until I was well enough to take care of myself. I just had open heart surgery. No money can buy the joy I received from this precious gift. And this one is diamonds aren't forever. This one's kind of sad. The worst gift I ever received was a pair of half a carat diamond earrings, expensively wrapped and tucked into my Christmas stocking by my husband. That year, my Christmas wish list asked for his time, time to talk together and truly share our lives, his patience when our world is rumbling with the stresses of everyday life, his love to conquer all life's little wrinkles. Instead, my Christmas gift had the cold twinkle of commercial Christmas. We are now divorced. The worst Christmas gift I received was from my mother-in-law. She gave me a monogrammed sweater. She didn't know my middle name, so she picked a letter out first (laughs) to fill the space. I've been married for 15 years. I never wore this sweater because I thought it belonged to somebody else. umbrella. This is the worst gift I ever received. As a post-polio victim, I have walked on a pair of crutches for many, many years. What would you believe my boss gave me an umbrella for Christmas? Hmm. See, that person failed in that they just gave a mass gift to everybody. That's one of those ten hidden gift-giving rules. If you're going to give something to everybody in the office, you need to give everybody the same thing. Well, guess what? If somebody's got polio, that's a really insensitive thing. Okay, um, it says, um, my worst Christmas gift was a last-minute pang of conscious gift from my husband. Goaded by an in-law who had purchased his spouse a magnificent diamond, my husband evidently dashed, dashed through the local department store grabbing anything he saw. There was a rock-and-roll Santa door decoration, a bottle of perfume lotion to which I'm allergic, a pair of bedroom slippers that were much too small, and a nightgown that was much too large. However, to my love's credit, all the items were somewhat gift-wrapped in a haphazard manner, in a patchwork of assorted designs bearing messages such as happy birthday, congratulations, good luck, etc., by wadding the tissue around the gift and plastering it with scotch tape. All were dumped into a grocery store bag. He could not understand why I was not ecstatic. The gift of memories. On Thanksgiving Day, as our guests are leaving, my sister handed me a small wrap package saying, 
put this aside until later. She gave a similar package to my other sister. I took the small wrapped box and tucked it away since my husband and I were going out of town the next morning. On returning from our trip, I thought of that small package and decided to open it. Inside was a poem and a cassette tape. I put the tape in the player and to my surprise came the voices of our family singing Christmas carols. And most special of all, the voice of our mother singing Silent Night in German. Mother died this past September. She played piano and organ beautifully and we children grew up with music filling our home. What a wonderful gift to hear mother's voice once again and with this special Christmas season. The Gold Ring. The best gift I received last Christmas was a wedding ring from my three children. During the fall while working in the yard, somehow the wedding ring I had worn for 46 years slipped off my finger. The ground around my home is covered with pine straw and mulch. All my searching was unsuccessful. Since my husband had died the year before, I was heartbroken. All fall, I silently mourned the bare finger with the obvious wedding ring indentation. It felt and looked so strange. Imagine my joy when I found a replacement ring with a note from three wonderfully sensitive children which said, we know it isn't the best, but maybe it's the next best, with our love. Mm. A gift of a letter. I'm an elementary school teacher. Each year for Christmas, I receive vast array of coffee mugs, scented soaps, candles, and photo frame photos. I appreciate their usefulness. However, I, had, I am a tad bored with them. The best gift I ever received was a letter from the mother of one of my students. She thanked me for my consistency and dedication and mentioned a specific instance where I had encouraged her son when he was down. She gave a copy of the letter to my principal. I didn't know at the time that all communication from parents about teachers is saved in their permanent file. Later that year, when my annual review came up, I received a raise due mainly to the positive comments one parent made in the letter. A simple white envelope. It's just a small white envelope stuck among the branches of our Christmas tree. No name, no identification, no inscription. It has peeked through the branches of our tree for the past 10 years or so. It all began because my husband, Mike, hated Christmas. Oh, not the true meaning of Christmas, but the commercial aspects of it. The overspending, the frantic running around at the last minute to get a tie for Uncle Harry and the dusting powder for Grandma, the gifts given in desperation because you couldn't think of anything else. Knowing he felt this way, I decided one year to bypass the usual shirts, sweaters, ties, and so forth. I reached for something special just for Mike. The inspiration came in an unusual way. Our son Kevin, who was 12 that year, was wrestling at the junior level at the school he attended shortly before Christmas. There was a non-league match against a team sponsored by an inner-city church. These youngsters dressed in sneakers so ragged that shoestrings seemed to be the only thing holding them together presented a sharp contrast to our boys in their spiffy blue and gold uniforms and sparkling new wrestling shoes. As the match began, I was alarmed to see that the other team was wrestling without headgear, a kind of light helmet designed to protect a wrestler's ears. It was a luxury the rag team obviously could not afford. Well, we ended up walloping them. We took every weight class, and as each of their boys got up from the mat, he swaggered around in his tatters with false bravado, a kind of street pride that couldn't acknowledge defeat. Mike, seated beside me, shook his head sadly. I wish just one of them could have won, he said. They have a lot of potential, but losing like this could take the heart right out of them. 
Mike loved kids, all kids, and he knew them, having coached Little League football, baseball, and lacrosse. That's when the idea for this, for his present came. That afternoon, I went to a local sporting goods store and bought an assortment of wrestling headgear and shoes and sent them anonymously to the inner city church. On Christmas Eve, I placed the envelope on the tree, the note inside telling Mike what I had done and that this was his gift from me. His smile was the brightest thing about Christmas that year and in succeeding years. For each Christmas, I followed the tradition, one year sending a group of mentally handicapped youngsters to a hockey game, another year a check to a pair of elderly brothers whose home had burned. had burned to the ground the week before Christmas, and on and on. The envelope became the highlight of our Christmas. It was always the last thing opened on Christmas morning, and our children, ignoring their new toys, would stand with wide-eyed anticipation as their dad lifted the envelope from the tree to reveal its contents. As the children grew, the toys gave way to more practical presents, but the envelope never lost its allure. The story doesn't end there. You see, we lost... See why I had you read it? I, I, can't, I can't read it. Let Christy read it. Christy. We lost Mike last year due to cancer. When Christmas rolled around, I was still so wrapped in grief that I barely got the tree up. Christmas Eve found me placing the envelope on the tree. <laughs> Give it to Jody. Give it to one of these men. <laughs> and in there's so much more. And in the morning, he was joined by three more. Each one of our children, unbeknownst to the others, had um, placed an envelope on the tree for their dad. The tradition has grown, and someday will expand even further with our grandchildren standing around the tree, with wide-eyed anticipation, watching as their fathers take down the envelope. Mike's spirit, like the Christmas spirit, will always be with us. May we all remember Christ, who is the reason for the season, and the true Christmas spirit this year, and always, God bless. Pass this along to those friends and loved ones who you know are the givers and understand the true meaning of Christmas. Oh, thank you. Just switch that mic off right there. Thank you so much for helping me. Yes. Yes. Um, okay. Those are just some examples, and those are just kind of idea stimulators. Just to get us back on a lighter note, I want to read you the 10 hidden gift-giving rules. Give a gift to everyone you expect to get one from. If someone gives you a gift unexpectedly, reciprocate that year. Some people even have pre-wrapped generic gifts just for this purpose. When you add a name to your gift list, give that person a gift every year thereafter. These are tongue-in-cheek. You're supposed to be laughing. Because you know what? It's funny because they're true, really. The amount of money you spend on a gift determines how much you care about the recipient. Gifts exchanged between adults should be roughly equal in value. There's no, You don't have a copy of this anyway. This is just a little fun aside. The presents you give someone should be, oh, I said, said that already, fairly consistent in value over the years. Number seven, if you give a gift to a person in one category, for example, a coworker, give a gift to everyone in that category. And these gifts should be similar in value. Women should give gifts to their close women friends. Men should not give gifts to their male friends, unless those gifts are alcoholic beverages. Whatever, whenever the above rules, let's say women are not to give 
Women are never to give gifts of alcohol. That's supposed to be just tacky. Whenever the above rules cause you any difficulty, remedy this situation by buying more gifts. Number 11, homemade gifts are more meaningful than store-bought gifts. That one has really tripped me up. Thinking you're saving time or money on a homemade gift never really works, does it? Well, that last one that this whole table read us about, that, that I want you to realize that the things your family are doing now, these little things they're doing, these are your traditions. They become things that really define your family. They're important. So really, really think about it. Think about all the areas. I know it's vast, but I went through a season where I was really, um, because of this ministry that I'm in, I didn't have two Christmases the same. And I got so scared when my daughter, who was my second daughter, was in the first grade. She had an activity. It was a writing activity where they were supposed to get the main idea in the center. And then like the spokes on the wheel, they come out with the other ideas. Well, the way the teacher was teaching this writing lesson was, I want you to write down in the center of the wheel, Christmas traditions of my family. And then on all the spokes, write what the traditions are. I thought, oh, my gosh, that teacher's going to think we're the weirdest family. We've never done anything the same two years in a row because I'm always experimenting and trying all these different things. Well, I didn't tell, I didn't express my concern to my daughter. But the next day or the next week, whenever she brought home her little assignment, and I just wept. Listen to what she put down. This is what is tradition to a child. I'm sure the teacher had to define the word tradition. Okay, it says, Rachel Meeks Family Traditions. We have saved Christmas cards from our family and friends over the past years. We hang them all over the house. Okay? I do that. I have these cheap, tacky, like cardboard wreath things that have places where you can put a photograph. I know you know what I'm talking about. Well, because I wanted the children to learn our friends' names and pray for them, so I had them, rather than just in a big basket on the table, I have them. I took the artwork down and put them on the wall. So now I'm up to like six of these things full of the pictures. And so, and then every year when you get the same picture, you just put them in consecutive order behind one another. Well, do you know how fun it is for those families to come over to your house and see, that's my kid's picture from 1991. Those moms are now calling me when their kids are getting married or graduating. Hey, can I have all those pictures? So they can make little collages and put it in their rehearsal dinner things. I'm not necessarily saying you have to keep them all because it's a lot of work to keep them all. But what my kids see me messing around a lot with is people. See, that photograph represents the people. Christians are to love people and use things. See, the world does the opposite. The world uses people and loves things. So that was a way that we showed our children what we love. We value people. Okay, and it wasn't just our Christian friends. It was just the people God has given us as gifts. Our other tradition is we open one gift each Sunday of Advent. See, and that is something I'd consistently done. And she, in her mind, considered that to be a tradition. We make photo ornaments with the Toon family each year and give them to our grandparents. Uh, the only, her other tradition was the only decorations we put out for the first week of Christmas are our nativity scenes. Okay? Well, that was, I just thought, wow, that's a score. That's a score for a mom. Um, how are we on time? 40 minutes? Okay, no, we're going to beat that. We're going to be finished before that. But there are a few more things I really, really want to talk to you about. Does anybody need to stand up and do some jumping jacks? Why don't we talk about the gifts on your table right now? Okay, starting at this table. I put just some things in the center of your table that are things I have used in the past. For my, I'm not anti-gifts. I'm just anti the wrong kinds of gifts and for the wrong reason, which is compulsion. 
Okay, this table has, um, somebody read that letter. This is a letter that I sent to just everybody in our kind of celebrating circle, all of my Dallas buddies. They got this letter in the mail for me. Oh, you need the microphone. Thank you. And again, I only am doing this for you all. I know this sounds like a big brag session on me. I'm just throwing things out that I've done. You would never do it just like I do. But if it gives, stimulates an idea for you, and then you take it and just tailor it for your family, I'd be, so, I'd be honored if you wanted to use exactly what I did. I've ripped my ideas off from everybody else. I've never had an original thought. There aren't any new ideas. There's nothing new under the sun, okay? That's what Solomon said. It's all just reshaped, refabricated. We're all standing on the shoulders of giants. So I think that's a form of flattery. So if you want to use anything you see, use it with my blessing. Okay. Precious friend, holiday greetings from the Meek family. As we celebrate the first coming of Jesus Christ and consider appropriate birthday gifts for him, our thoughts turn to Matthew 25:31 through 44. This passage refers to his second coming, that when that time when he will return in glory as king and judge all of the people. Jesus says, And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Matthew 25:40. In an effort to honor you and the Lord Jesus Christ this Christmas, we are enclosing a gift that in turn may be given to homeless men. The homeless in our community certainly are in the category of the least of these. Though some might not be brethren right now, your handout could be used in bringing them into the family of faith. Included are McDonald's coupons attached to directions to the Union Gospel Mission, UGM. The UGM is a shelter in West Dallas for homeless men. At the UGM, they may shower, eat, and sleep in safety, but most importantly, they will hear the truth of God's love and the life-changing power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep these coupons handy in your car. The next time you are waiting at an intersection and are approached by a homeless man, look into his eyes and give him food for his body and soul. Share Jesus with him, the true bread of life. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Christmas love, Stephen Ruth. Langley, Rachel, Austin, and Anna Louise. P.S. We have included an additional page of UGM cards for you to copy. You can purchase more food coupons and continue giving to the homeless throughout the year. Okay, this was a slam dunk Christmas gift. Okay, hold that little thing up in the air. McDonald's doesn't do this anymore, but this was 10 years ago, whatever. They sold little coupons, you know, dollar coupons, and that little cool wallet. Now you have to get a credit card, but you can still do this. So the idea is what we gave to each of our friends was a little collection of McDonald's coupons, which attached to the back were directions to the Union Gospel Mission so that when you're in the car, your kids are watching you, you pull up at an intersection, here's the homeless guy knocking. You don't have to feel that horrible feeling ever again. You have something to give that is appropriate. You're giving him bread for his stomach and you're giving him a way to know Jesus, the bread of life. Because the Union Gospel Mission gives every man that comes in there a copy of the Book of John, and they go through the study of the Book of John together. So it's a way to, anyway, it's handy. You know, we used to keep cereal in the car and food in the car. It just, the car was a wreck and a mess. Those things, are, they fit right in your glove compartment. Easy. I can remember just feeling so happy when the carpool kids were in there, and I had those coupons to give when the guy came knocking. 
So that was the a thoughtful gift. And then what made it thoughtful, Kate, hold that up, the little frame that you just read, and turn it backwards. What we included in the gift, everybody just got 2 or $3 worth of coupons, or maybe a little bit more, I don't remember how many, but we, all, we set them up to make their own. Okay, I gave them the copy that they then copied of the directions to the Union Gospel Mission that you give to the guys. Okay, okay, that table has, you don't need to read the whole label on that jar, but somebody just hold that jar of walnuts and rice up. The label on the front of the jar explains what I'm about to tell you. That's an exercise in priority setting, okay? That if you get Jesus right, you know, you seek him first and then everything else gets added. There are five walnuts in that jar and a cup of rice. If you put the walnuts in first and then the rice, it all fits. If you reverse it, it doesn't fit. If you try to put the rice in first, there's no room for the walnuts. Well, the goal, the object lesson, and it's written on the little story, it's called Beware the Busyness of a Beware the Barrenness of a Busy Life. If you get your priorities out of order and you don't put the things of God first, all those other things won't fit. If you do put him first, which are the walnuts, then everything else in your life will fit. So it's just a visual of that lesson. Okay. Um, what's at your table, Dina? Okay, that's just a little loaf of bread. Okay, the bread is, can you read that, the little label on the bread? Wait, take the microphone, Dina. And think about how often, bread is, you know, this is, again, if you want to do gift exchanging, which is wonderful, just make sure your gift speaks of the gift. Okay? It says, Bethlehem means house of bread, while this bread satisfies temporarily, only Jesus, the bread of life, satisfies forever. Okay. So you write that in a way that's comfortable for you. Okay, Debbie, was there something else back there? Okay, that little tacky wreath. That really wasn't the one I meant to bring. I meant to bring one that has little thorns on it that I gave one year. I loved this gift. Um, it was just a, a small little wreath. That then I didn't even give the candle, but most people ended up putting it on top of a little candle to decorate the candle. But it was a little rough, ragged-looking grapevine leaf with seriously long thorns. So it looked just like the crown of thorns that Jesus wore. And the little tag said, Why do we use wreaths at Christmas? Because Jesus who we celebrate wore the very first one, a crown of thorns. So that was a that was a really that was a good gift one year. Okay. That table back there. That's an easy one. Okay, that that's just do you have that little bag? Yeah, what's in that bag? And what does the bag say? <laughs> so what do you think is in that bag? Um little like Coal. Lumps of coal. <laughs> I couldn't think of what. Small. Okay, it's a bag of coal. Okay, well, guess what? That is what we deserve at Christmas. We deserve a lump of coal in our stockings. Okay, that's what we deserve. But instead, we just get lavish gifts. Okay, here's this, the reason why I put that out. I'm going to tell you the story. This is also in the big book. This is why I actually do put coal in my children's stockings. I know that sounds so cold and cruel. But it has been the single greatest teacher of the gospel to my children. So what you do is, well, I'll tell you the story. The way the tradition happened in the story, the woman that tells the story tells of a Christmas. She was eight years old. Her family got called away to an aunt's uh, hospital need or whatever. So they just deposited her at the neighbor's house. Like, oh, we got to go to the hospital. Would you take care of Caroline? So Caroline is with the neighbors for a Christmas Eve. Well, she just gets wrapped up in this other family's tradition, which is um, on Christmas Eve that night, 
No, no, no. Okay, it's the next morning, Christmas morning. They walk in to go get their gifts, and here is a lump of coal in their stockings. Well, she is not used to this, but nobody like seemed freaked out and upset. But when she saw the coal, after she was sort of mad and, you know, what is up with this? She immediately started to think about her sin. She thought, oh my gosh, I was kind of tacky to my mother yesterday. I did lie about this. I didn't make up my bed. She just was forced to think of her sin. Why did I get this coal? And then a few minutes later, the family reads these passages together from Isaiah that they've all memorized, kind of on cue. They know when to read what. Then they move into the next room, and here is just a mountain of presents for all of them with the associated scripture about the lavish grace of God to send his son to undeserving people. That's us. See, grace is that we get lavish grace. We don't get what we deserve. We get all of those gifts. Jesus Christ sitting on the top of the pile. Okay, he is what we get when we deserve the coal. So remember the first year I did that, my son, I have one son, he was four years old. And I was really nervous about it, but I knew the shock effect of the first year of doing it would really teach. So I just steeled myself for it. He, you know, of course, they got up at 5 a.m. or whatever they did. That, and he came into my bedroom. He, he was just going to make me cry. He was just weeping. He said, Mommy, I hate you. Oh, boy, it was hard. But it was five minutes later that they walked into the next room, and here is everything that had been on his list. So I got to explain it to him. But that was a really hard thing. But that child has grown up into a really godly man. And he understands the gospel. It's grace. The gospel is all grace. Undeserved merit and fellowship with God. So we do it every year now. And now the, 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 the call isn't upsetting anymore. It's just, But it is a reminder of your sin. It's a reminder that we don't get what we deserve. We get grace. Okay, next table. That's looking pretty tired. That's been all over town for many years. <laughs> a piece of ribbon. <laughs> I think you. I think that fell off of the spike. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. You see that big spike? Yeah. And there's the little tag that used to be a pretty gift tag that fell off. Okay. So that's a spike you buy at Home Depot. It's like this long. It's like a railroad spike or something. Okay, and the little tip it just tag says, says you want me to read this? Yeah, read that for us. This ugly spike, made presentable only by the pretty ribbon, symbolic of blood, represents the one born to die, nailed to a tree. The nails used to hold Jesus Christ to his cross were spikes similar to this one. Though they were strong, it was not the nails that held him to the tree, but his love. Hang this ornament on your Christmas tree as a reminder of the one we celebrate, the one who was born to die for us with love and you family. It used to have a beautiful red ribbon. I mean, it was pretty enough that you'd really use it, but it's an ornament for your friends. You can lay it on the coffee table. Do you know why you use why red and green are the Christmas colors? Red symbolizes the blood. That's why we should stand against turning Christmas pink and brown and everything else, okay? And the green is evergreen. You are ever, you have eternal life because of Christ, if you're in Christ. Okay? We have um, a little... Okay, that's salt. That's seasoned salt. In fact, I just made that this year. Read just the, um, there's a little recipe on there for the ingredients of the salt. I mean, none of the, these things are all so inexpensive. Read the little time. Yeah, read the, I think the green is, that yeah. talk about what salt means. In the ancient world, salt was so valuable as a preserver, it was often used as currency. 
from which we get our word salary. It was also a symbol of friendship. Salt was always on the table. Men confirmed their covenants with each other over meals. The altar is God's table. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Leviticus uh, 2.13 Salt was a requirement because it is indestructible by fire and symbolized the everlasting covenant between God and his people. I'm grateful for our flavorful, flavorful covenant friendship, which lasts forever because of our mutual trust in Christ. Thank you. Um, okay, and then that next one, you don't have to read that long thing, but I found frankincense somewhere one year, and um, it's kind of expensive, so everybody got just a little bit, but it's real, it's, it's like a home potpourri kind of center house stuff. But the, the uh, associated little tag has to do with um, the wise men, the magi, because they represent us. We were Gentiles, so we're not Jewish, we've been grafted in. So it was really great news that the Magi, that the Gentiles were there bringing that gift. So that's the significance of that. Okay, so again, uh, gift giving, you've got the, you've got to me the excuse, the spiritual excuse for giving lavishly within your own, after you've made your spending plan with your spouse of what's acceptable. To me, I think you've got the the opportunity to really share the lavish grace of the gospel with those people you can really unpack it for, which is usually only, only your children. And then with your other celebrating circle, there'll be several years where maybe you don't want to do anything. And you're just not under any compulsion at all. I'm in the, the catbird seat because I have this public ministry, so I don't feel... If somebody brings me a gift, I just smile and say, thank you so much. I don't have what I used to feel was, oh, I don't have anything for them. You know, that's compulsion. Okay, If I want to do something, I do. If I don't, I don't. A lot of these things I do at Thanksgiving, even though they kind of have a Christmas theme. And a lot of years I do nothing. Um, in your book, I think I will not. Well, yes, I will for the sake of the tape. Okay, look, go back to your um, handout. We're on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Attend an evening or midnight worship service to usher in Christmas Day. Have the children all sleep together in one room on Christmas Eve. Begin Christmas Day by reading the Christmas story from the Bible found in Luke 2, and also read one of the Messianic passages, such as Isaiah 53. Divide or sort the gifts according to the giver. Stop. Divide the gifts according to the giver. Do your children like to like spread the loot out before you open it up? Well, just switch that orb around a little bit and have them be responsible for the pile they are giving. That's a little subtle thing that has made a big difference in my family's life. Be flexible about Christmas dinner. Do not get locked into traditions. Consider a catered meal to reduce stress. Keep the focus on Christ and to avoid hurting the feelings of relatives whose traditional Christmas recipes you don't care for. Serve cake for dessert and sing happy birthday to Jesus. Okay, the 12 days of Christmas, remember they start on Christmas Day. <clears throat> Celebrate through Epiphany, which is January the 6th. Epiphany means to appear. The liturgical church has traditionally celebrated the 12 days after Christmas or Epiphany as the day the Magi or wise men arrived to worship Jesus. The Magi's adoration of the newborn king of the Jews symbolizes that salvation has now come to the Gentiles as well as the Jews. This is good news as we're Gentiles. Plan projects that will last through Epiphany, January 6th, also called the 12th night. For example, work on a family cookbook or photo album, start a sewing project, begin a family jigsaw puzzle, perhaps a Christmas present, with the goal of finishing by Epiphany. Play the games your family received as gifts. Make or bake some of your favorite holiday foods now when things are less hectic. 
Do shop those after Christmas sales. Consider Epiphany gifts in lieu of Christmas gifts. Have friends over for friendship stew after Christmas. Each guest brings one item for the vegetable soup. Close the season with an Epiphany party. Listen to the Christmas CDs for the last time. Eat the last of the holiday goodies and share your favorite Christmas experiences with each other. For the party, bake a cake with a pea in it. The guest who receives the piece with the pea is the Epiphany King or Queen for the new year. Find a but meaningless title. When you take down the tree, trim off two pieces from the trunk, nail together into a cross, save and use for Easter decorations and as a visual aid in Easter devotions. He was born to die. I've been so blessed because most of my husband's family who live here in Dallas are Episcopalian. So they are all about celebrating Epiphany. The first time I see them over the holidays is after Christmas. So when we're doing our gift exchange, we've all already bought it half price at a sale somewhere. And they, because they're family, we'll, we rotate through each other's houses. They really do help me undecorate. I help them undecorate. It's a way to ch- kind of pull it all together and bring closure. Okay, the next thing in your book, the symbols of Christmas, we won't read that. But everything you see around the holiday season, all these different symbols, bells, bread, candles, candy canes, um, Christmas trees and greenery, gifts, the manger, Santa Claus and stockings, ornaments, wreaths, the wise men, they all have sacred significance. Make sure you know that. Redeem them. They're hanging up in the shopping mall, okay? You should know what they mean. Remember, this is our holy day. Make sure your family knows. This is a great, I intentionally put it on the page this way. See how you have a lot of margin on the left side? This is a perfect craft for your birthday party for Jesus. You let the children with their colors or markers or stickers or whatever make an example of these things while you're telling them what it is. Then you can cut between them on those perforated lines and they make little tags for them. So they can get, they can go find a bell somewhere and give that to somebody as a gift. And here they have the tag ready with the significance of the bell. So photocopy this. Make some extra copies for yourself. Do the same with a candle. I mean, it's so simple. It's so simple. And there are more, there are certainly more um, symbols of Christmas than this. Let me talk to you just a minute about Santa Claus before we go forward. There is nothing wrong with Christians. Um, celebrating with Santa Claus, as long as you re- re- give him his real name, which is Nicholas. Okay, Nicholas is a person who really lived. Okay, Santa Claus is a secularized version of Nicholas, who's now a saint. The Catholic Church, remember, we were all Catholic then, canonized him because he died a martyr. Nicholas lived in the fourth century A.D. He was very wealthy, but his parents died and left him an orphan, a wealthy orphan. He <clears throat> had the gift of giving. He learned, this is, this is in uh, Turkey, Ephesus, I think. He learned of a family, and this is a true story according to the oral tradition of the church. There are many stories about Nicholas, and all the church records were destroyed. So anything we know is part of the oral tradition. So Nicholas learned of the plight of a noble, an ex-nobleman in his same village, meaning he had at one time been in the service of the king. He no longer was. He's impoverished now. He has three daughters, all marrying age. At that time in history, you had to have a dowry for your daughters. If you could not afford it, then your daughters were sold into slavery, probably prostitution, and many times because of venereal disease that led to their death. So Nicholas heard of the plight of this nobleman who could not accept charity because of his prior service. In the middle of the night, Nicholas, who's wealthy, 
crawls up on the roof of the nobleman's home, ex-nobleman's, drops gold coins through the chimney, which land in the daughter's stockings, which had been put out to dry. Okay? Do you see some similarities? Do you see where we get our traditions? Nicholas is a type of Christ. The way Nicholas gives are the three ways that Christ gives to us. His gift of those coins was to undeserved people. They really didn't deserve it, okay? It's not that they were good or bad. They just didn't really deserve all that gold, okay? That's us. They could not repay. How are you going to repay somebody that gives you something anonymously? And the gift rescued them, not just from prostitution or the sin that our lives get in, but from death. So you will die if you are not in Christ. You will not spiritually live. So Nicholas is a really important character. So redeem Nicholas. I used to be mad. Before I knew this, I would just be so mad when I saw Santa Claus everywhere. Now it's like, oh, wonderful. Now we just, the culture is uncomfortable with spirituality, so he's Santa Claus to them. Just make sure your kids know. Okay. After your symbols in your book, okay, we're almost finished, then we're going to have a little discussion. Okay, Christmas coupons. This is our favorite thing in our family. Back to the non-monetary Okay, give your time and talents away as presents in the form of redeemable coupons. Write out an appropriate act of service on an index card. Decorate it with stickers or markers. Put it in an envelope and wrap it up as a gift. Or place it in your child's Christmas stocking. Sharing yourself in this way can convey far more meaning than ordinary gifts and will be enjoyed and remembered far longer. Okay, let me show you. I am going to read through that just because we're being taped. But this is how easy this is, okay? And you all come look at these. These are... Oh, these are these are just like so simple. But the joy for Stephen is my Stephen and I to go lock ourselves in the bedroom and really think about each of our. When you have multiple children that are close in age, one of the greatest things you can do is just individuate, stop and separate them from the pack and think about them separately, which is what this makes us do. And they are the simplest little things. Um, I will paint your fingernails for you, love mom. I will spend half an hour with you alone doing whatever you want. You may choose the movie from Blockbuster tonight. Let's see how all these are. One of my favorites, one of all the kids' favorites was a, it's kind of like a get-out-of-jail-free card. It was a spanking card. It's like, Jesus is taking your, <laughs> taking your punishment, so redeem this card before you're about to get a spanking. <laughs> And then what they do, after we did that for them, they started doing it for us. They did it for one another, and they did it for us. Um, like my daughter, like I've got one of my older daughters. Y'all would just have to look at these. There's, I'm so glad I thought to save some. You need to be careful. I give these to my husband also. I give some to him. His love language is uh, physical touch and closeness. So I make some little cards for him. I have to use cryptic language since all my, some of my kids were reading then. But I'd make him some little uh, redeemable cards for some indoor recreation. Well, that's always his favorite Christmas gift, always. Well, I finally figured out about on year three that there were a couple of those cards he kept redeeming over and over again. So that's what, you won't see any of these. So now I've learned to punch the card and then, like, throw it away so he doesn't keep <laughs> 
Uh, let's see. <laughs> Mom, check this after use. Langley will babysit for free tonight. She's my oldest daughter. They're just so they just got such joy out of finding ways to serve one another, and there was no money exchanged. Okay, here's some suggestions for coupons from parents to children. You may stay up 30 minutes past your bedtime. You may skip a bath. You may play outside after dinner. You may choose the family video. You may sit in the best chair to watch the video. Um, And here's the grace coupon. You insert the child's name. Redeem this when you are to be chastised. That is, no spanking. By his stripes, you're healed. Jesus took your punishment. Thank you. You may decide what the family eats for dinner. You may be excused from helping with the dinner dishes. You may have two friends over to spend the night. You may watch one hour of approved TV. You may choose the restaurant. You may choose the next book the family reads. Mom will teach you how to cook anything you want. Mom will scratch your back for 15 minutes. Mom will teach you how to do counted cross-stitch. Mom will teach you how to make Mimi's icebox cookies. Mom will curl and style your hair. You may play outside after dinner. Mom will give you a manicure or pedicure. Mom or Dad will spend 30 minutes with you doing whatever you like. Mom or Dad will take you out for dinner all by yourself. Dad will teach you how to do something on the computer. Dad will play the board game of your choice with you for 30 minutes. Dad will help you with your semester project. Dad will wrestle with you. Dad will read to you from the book of your choice. Dad will come to school and have lunch with you. Dad will do your family chores for you. Dad will drive you wherever you like for 30 minutes. Dad will make your bed. To a school teacher, I will pray for you on Saturday, on Sunday nights as you prepare for the next week. To a Sunday school teacher, I will pray for you Saturday night for your lesson. <clears throat> to the neighbor, I will take care of your pet for you when you go out of town. To dad, I will bring the newspaper in for you. To mom, I will rub your feet. To mom, I will help you in the kitchen without being asked. To sister, you may play with or use my fill in the blank. To brother, I will clean your room for you. To an adult friend, I will make the appetizer or dessert for you the next time you have guests. To an adult friend, I will keep your children for you one weekend so you can get away. To a teenage friend, I will make dinner for you and a friend. James Russell Lowell says, It's not what we give, but what we share, for the gift without the giver is bare. Okay, it's great to just give somebody a gift, write a check, whatever, but for you to give yourself in the gift, that's a real gift. So even though you may say to your neighbor, Oh, anytime, I'll help you do whatever, I'll take care of your pet, but for you to write it down, write it down, wrap it up, put it in a pretty envelope with a sticker, they accept that as a gift and they'll cash that in. It's so much more tangible and meaningful. Okay, and then the next thing, I won't read this whole letter, but I call this an unsubscribe letter. This is a copy, and I used it with her permission from a friend of mine, Nancy Beck, who was just so tired of all the crazy, 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 crazy gift swapping that she wrote this letter to all of her friends. Okay? Actually, I'm going to read it because we're being taped. Dear fill in the blank, as the holidays approach, our family is already feeling the breathless rushing around that characterizes December. This year, and hopefully for years to come, we are determined to simplify our holidays, to slow down enough to take in the spirituality that tends to play second fiddle to errands and obligations, and especially to teach our children that our focus in giving should be on those in need. Towards that end, we are writing to respectfully request that you remove our name from your gift list. We love getting your Christmas cards, and each one we receive is a gift enough. Our hope is that the money you would have spent on our gift be given instead to your favorite charity or to someone truly in need. Moreover, our hope is that the time that you will save not thinking about, not ordering, not buying, and not assembling, not wrapping, not delivering, not mailing, and not writing thank you notes will be spent doing special things with those you love. May we all have a peaceful Christmas filled with time to enjoy each other. Fondly, Peter and Nancy. We apologize for this form letter, but 
to handwrite each one would defeat the purpose of this letter. So I thought she just nailed it. That was that doesn't make me feel bad that I've given her gifts. She's not it's not an indictment or anything. She's just moving forward. My husband and I have realized that something's kind of gotten out of whack, gotten out of balance. So back to your questions back there, there could be a way you could modify this somehow. It's still honoring those people. You're just saying what what and she's she's a Christian, but she's just saying that you're saying this is what God's doing with me. There's a new thing happening with me, and I want you to know about it because it's going to have an impact here. Okay, and then the next letter you already know about. That's the Union Gospel Mission letter that we read about here first. Okay, questions? Comments? Actually, no, I'm, so, I'm glad you brought that up. The coupons, this one year um, was their biggest gift they got. It was a really lean year in the real estate world. So that this was inside of a box beautifully wrapped under the tree. Their gifts to, I mean, my husband and I gave each child one of these coupon gifts. Okay? They give to what they give them to each other usually on that particular Sunday in Advent. And it morphs, you know, as they get older, it's we have never had two Christmases exactly like. Um, and then they give them to us. They they really love that now. Now that they none of them have any money, they love they love this concept. <laughs> but it really forces everybody to really think. Okay, I've got some uh, discussion questions that I'm gonna pass around. And let's just throw these ideas around for just a few minutes. Then I want to pray and go.